0: We're going to be reading today from the book of Ephesians, specifically Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. And as you came in, you received a song sheet and you can find the verses printed there. If you're joining us online this morning, this would be a great time to grab your Bible or open to Ephesians 1 on your Bible app. And so we'll start this morning by reading the text from Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3 and 14. And the author of Ephesians writes this, He says, praise be to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In his love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, the ones uh, he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and all understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put in effect till the end of time, till the times reach their fulfillment and bring unity to all things on heaven and on earth under Christ. In Him we were also chosen. We have been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will in order that we were who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise and glory of God. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. That is God's word. Amen. And today we are beginning a new series called Identity. And before we can begin this series, I think it's important that we have a common foundation, a common understanding of what we mean when we say the word identity. And so for today, I borrowed from a psychologist and author by the name of David Benner, and he describes identity as this. Identity is who we experience ourselves to be. It is the I that each of us carries within. And so this series on identity is meant to both challenge as well as remind us that our identity as followers of Jesus is to be found in Christ alone. And the topic of identity is one of those unique human conditions that every one of us sitting here, indeed every human who has ever lived, can identify with. Because the truth is that everyone here finds their identity in either someone or some thing. And I am no exception to that rule. Much like you, when I was younger, I began at a very early age to try and find my identity. In upper elementary, I was what you might call a little bit of a late bloomer. While some of my other peers and friends were beginning to take interest in sports and the opposite sex, my friends and I were wholly engrossed in the world of the teenage mutant ninja turtles. We loved the turtles, and that is a phase that my wife and my parents will probably still tell you that I have yet to grow out of. But here's the thing. I was specifically enamored with a 12-foot Cajun-speaking mutant crocodile by the name of Leatherhood, Leatherhead. And I actually ended up adopting the persona of this character as my identity because I was bullied so much in school. I believed that like in the comics where Leatherhead was so strong and so ferocious that even the turtles wouldn't mess with him, that if other people identified me as Leatherhead, they wouldn't mess with me either. And it went so far that I would actually walk around school trying to speak in a Cajun accent. And at one point, I actually asked my friends to start calling me Leatherhead. Now, I know what you're thinking. This does not give you license to start calling me Pastor Leatherhead. Okay? I was a weird kid. I understand that. But that identity worked for me until it didn't. One day during recess, while our friends were being bullied by our classmates, I decided that this was the time that I was going to flex my new identity as Leatherhead. And so I summoned all the strength that I could in my little being so that I could approach the ringleader of this group. And in my best Cajun accent, I indignantly said, and I'm gonna try to do this without laughing. I indignantly looked him in the eyes and I said, My my name is Leatherhead. You better not mess with me. <laughs> and I now it was a bold move. But it was a bold move that was about 30 years ahead of its time. Because I think if I were to identify as a mutant crocodile in 2021, it would probably be applauded by most people. (laughs) But this was the 90s, folks. And as opposed to celebrating my newfound orientation, the bully decided that his best response was to haul off and punch me. And in an instant, my identity came crashing down around me. And the truth is that I'm happy to report as I've gotten older, I've stopped seeking my identity in fictional mutant creatures. It didn't stop me from seeking my identity in external things. When I got into high school, I found my identity in partying, and that worked for me until it didn't. When I got into college, I found my identity in religion, and that identity worked for me until it didn't. And since then, I've tried to find myself over and over again in my relationships, in my careers, in the approval of others, and at times even in material possessions. And one after the other, just like Leatherhead, every one of those external things failed to give me a true sense of who I am. And the truth is this morning, church, that I still struggle. I've struggled and I still struggle to this day at times with rooting my identity in external things that fail me. And I would bet, knowing that all of us wrestle with identity in some way, shape, or form, that there are those of you here that have also could say, I've placed my identity in external things and at times those things have failed me. For some of us here, maybe that external thing has been a failure that's happened in your life. A past mistake can easily become our present identity in the future. Maybe it's a broken relationship where your identity has become cloaked in I am unlovable. Maybe instead of a relationship, maybe it's a missed opportunity in life. And that missed opportunity, that failure has given way to the birth of an identity of regret. Maybe for others here, We've experienced an ongoing brokenness in our lives that we can't overcome in the form of either an addiction or a behavior. And so instead of uh, wrapping ourselves in identity of victory, we clothe our identity in shame and guilt. I think every one of us here could probably point to something in our lives where a failure has created an identity within ourselves. And it's not only just failures. A lot of us oftentimes will also anchor our identity in words. And how many of us know that both positive and negative words can have a big impact on how we see ourselves? The right words at the right time by the right person can send our identity soaring. But what happens when we don't receive those words of affirmation for our identity? And conversely, the opposite is also true. Those negative words that we receive from others can impact how we see ourselves, and the weight of those words can be made even more painful when they become from a source that we trust, like a parent, like a close friend, or like a pastor who makes fun of, fun of the cubs. We can have those burdens in our lives that we carry. <laughs> Those, those words are like barbs on a fish hook that can embed themselves deep into our soul to become part of who we are. Words have the power to shape us. And then perhaps there are those of you here who are like me, that you felt the pressure to try and define yourself through your job your financial successes. Maybe you're a teenager and it's through your grades or through your appearance or some other way that you've used to define your significance. But again, the question remains, what happens to your identity when you're laid off from your job? What happens to your identity when a friend of yours moves into a bigger house down the street? What happens to your identity when a coworker seems to be living their perfect Instagram life on social media? In those circumstances where our foundation is built on those external things, we get shaken and rocked back and forth, resulting in us hustling from one thing to the next, looking for the next thing or the next person that we can find our identity in. And that stable sense of self struggles to ever fully exist when we place our identity in external things. Because the truth is our circumstances change, don't they? And as our circumstances change, so too does our identity have to shift with it. Church, we receive an overwhelming amount of information and messages telling us how we should identify, who we should be identified by, how we should define ourselves. But the truth is, and the question for you this morning, is what would it look like, church, to find our stable sense of self apart from a relationship, apart from a success, apart from a failure. This morning, church, I want to ask you, what would it look like to find your identity based solely in the way that God sees you? Because here is the truth that I want to give you this morning is that I think God and all his infinite wisdom must have known that as human beings, flawed as we are, that we would struggle with at times this idea of identity. Because over and over again throughout the course of scripture, God identifies where and how we can find a lasting source of identity. And specifically in the book of Ephesians, it's one of the richest passages in the entirety of scripture about what our identity is supposed to look like. So let's once again turn back to the book of Ephesians. You can turn to your notes on your page and see what God has to say about our identity. The book of Ephesians is a unique book when compared to other books in the New Testament. Because the book of Ephesians in its uh, bulk of its parts is more descriptive than it is prescriptive. Thank you, sir. Um, And that simply means that the author of Ephesians tends to focus more on describing the great doctrines and truths and themes of our Christianity rather than prescribing commands as to how we're supposed to live. But what the author espouses these truths of Ephesians, they are more than just deep, heady theological concepts. They are foundational truths that have the power to shape our identity. But unless we take time to understand what those truths are and how they operate, we have little use or ability to utilize them in our lives and even more so in our identity. And in that way, these truths from Ephesians function much like natural laws in that they don't, they operate regardless of how you might feel in the moment. They aren't, they are impersonal in that respect. And so, for example, some of you have been over here helping at 206. I have as well. And as I've been working over here at 206, I have learned that electricity follows a very specific pattern and doesn't care how I think about it or what I think it should do. And that can be a very shocking experience, quite literally, pun intended. As I found out on our first day of renovation when I almost killed Ben Peterson because I failed to turn off the electricity properly. Ben, I'm sorry. (laughs) But the truth is, is that electricity does not, is not impressed in the slightest by my position as a pastor at Mosaic Church. Electricity does not hesitate to retaliate if I violate any of its laws. It is my job to understand how it works and to utilize that if I choose. And the same is true of these foundational truths that we find in Ephesians when it comes to our identity. We have to know how what they are and how they work in order to utilize them in our faith. So how does the author of Ephesians say that these powerful truths can be turned on in our identity and in our lives? He writes that these truths functionally operate on two key words that he says over and over and over again in the scriptures. And those two words are in Christ, in Christ. And when he says that, he means that these words, that every doctrinal truth that he is espousing in Ephesians 1 is built upon the foundational reality of someone being found in Christ. And that term, in Christ, is a term that the author uses to describe somebody who has come to a place of believing and receiving Jesus in their lives. That's what it means to be in Christ. So then to be in Christ is to be placed in a position where these powerful truths that he's about to talk about can impact our identity. And conversely, just like electricity... These truths cannot and will not operate outside of the law of being in Christ. You can't will them into existence. You certainly can't um, earn them and you can't buy them. They are available only to those who are found in Christ, those who have committed to following after Jesus. So we might begin by saying that our identity starts with Christ. In beginning in verse five, the author of Ephesians sets forth to expound upon these truths when he writes this, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now that's quite a mouthful, but let me unpack what the author is saying here author of Ephesians is saying this, that God literally loves you so much that from the very beginning of time, before time was even created, God had planned and desired that all of humanity could be adopted into his family through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Church, don't gloss over that this morning. Stop with me and sit on that and think about that for a moment. Before God... Created the cosmos. Before God spoke creation into existence, you, you sitting here at 206 Slinger were on the creator's mind. Before God allowed you to breathe a breath in this world, God was planning to have you adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. And this doctrine of adoption in Christianity is mind-blowing truth, but it also has huge implications for our identity as well, especially when we stop for a moment and consider the cultural context of adoption in first century Rome, which is when Ephesians was written. You see, in the Roman world, adoption was a common and regular practice. Today, we can write a will and leave our inheritance, our wealth, our property to anyone we please. But with few exceptions in Roman culture in the first century, a father had to leave his inheritance to a son. And if he didn't have a son or he felt his son wasn't worthy of his inheritance, he had to adopt a son he felt was worthy. And so once the adoption was legally approved, the adoptee, all his debts were wiped clean and he was given a new name. And so this is the truth that the adopted son had legal right to the family and that the father may choose to even disown his natural kids, but he could not reverse adoption. It was irrevocable. And so this is the truth that likewise, when we come to faith in Christ, we are given a new identity church as sons and daughters that are adopted into God's multi-ethnic family. And few concepts could be more beautiful and more meaningful in our Christian faith. And that's what the author means when in verse 3 he writes that we have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. As God's kids, church, you have the right and access to not only come to God the Father, but you inherit his incredible spiritual blessings as well. At its core, adoption is about privilege position of being one of God's kids. However, church, there is one big difference between the culture of adoption in first century Rome and our adoption into God's family. In Rome, a man would choose a son based on his worth, based on what he could provide to the family. When you are adopted as a son or daughter into God's family, you are not adopted because of your worth or your merit. God adopts the unworthy into his family and says you are welcome here based on my grace, not on your merit. And that means that you have an identity, church. Hear me this morning. You have an identity of belonging as adopted sons and daughters in the family of God regardless of what you've done in this life or where you have been. It does not matter if you are rich or if you are poor. It does not matter if you are born and live in a shack or a mansion. It does not matter if you are a Republican or a Democrat. It does not matter if you're white or black. It doesn't matter if you made a million mistakes or if you spent your life living like a modern day Mother Teresa. In Christ, when we come to God in Christ, all are welcome to God's table as his kids. And so we can have assurance That we belong in God's family, church, not because um, of anything that we have done, but instead of because of who he is. And so we know then that the key to our identity in Christ is believing that God the Father has adopted us as his sons and daughters. But the author of Ephesians doesn't stop there. He could have just stopped with the fact that we've been adopted into God's family. And for most people, that would be enough. But not for the author of Ephesians. And he doesn't continue because he's trying to superficially pump up his readers or because he's trying to give them some false hope about their salvation. Remember, these are facts of our faith. And the fact is that the inheritance that is made available to those who are in Christ is so vast and so spiritually rich that the author of Ephesians literally can't stop praising God as he's writing and thinking about these things that he has in Jesus. It's like that old 90s cartoon, DuckTales. You remember when Scrooge McDuck was diving and like swimming in his money? That is us when we come into an inheritance, our relationship with God through Christ. We are literally invited as sons and daughters of God to dive headlong, to immerse ourselves in the spiritual blessings as God's kids. And so he continues in verse seven and he says this. In him or in Christ, we have redemption through his blood through uh, through his blood and for the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of His grace. Redemption is a strange word, it's a peculiar word that we don't very often use in our culture today. Most often when we speak of redemption, we often do so like we're redeeming a gift card or we're redeeming a promotion. But our redemption in Christ is so much more than a 10% coupon. Because here's the truth. Redemption in Ephesians literally means to pay a ransom or to save someone who is in a situation that they have no help or hope of getting themselves out of. And here's the truth of scripture. The Bible teaches that every person here, myself included, Jason included, Don included, All of us here, every human who has ever been born, every human who will ever be be born, who has been born into an inescapable prison of sin, and because of that sin, stands in direct opposition to the perfect holiness and righteousness of God that we are deserving of nothing short of punishment and death, but for the blood of Jesus. But for the blood of Jesus. That Jesus paid our ransom with his blood on the cross of Calvary to save us from our sins. The truth is, church, that Jesus saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. And friends, listen to me this morning because this spiritual truth about Jesus redeeming us has huge implications on our identity in Christ because it means that you, church, that me, that everyone who comes into Christ is redeemed. Think about that for a moment. Again, don't allow this moment to just pass you by. You are the redeemed. That means that God the Father loved you so much that he literally stopped at nothing, including death on a cross, in order that he might save you and have relationship with you. So church this morning... And this breaks my heart, and Jason, I know, and Robin knows this as well, that we hear youth that talk about, my life is worthless, my life has no value. And I know all of us get in those different places where we feel that from time to time. But let me tell you this morning, church, don't you dare tell me that your life does not have value. Don't you dare tell me that your life is worthless. Because we cost God everything. And God in his infinite love for humanity gladly paid the price of our ransom so that we might be saved. You are the redeemed church. And we find that the key to knowing then our identity in Christ is not only knowing that God the Father has adopted us as his sons, but that we also have been saved by God the Son. And so finally we come to the close of our text. And the author of Ephesians wants to reveal one more truth that will offer us a lasting assurance about our identity in Christ. In beginning in verse 13, he writes this. When you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Guys, I know this morning because it happens to me all the time that we live in a broken world and it's very easy to lose sight of our identity in Christ. Our mistakes and yes, even sometimes our successes can cause us to turn our eyes away from Jesus and to forget in a moment that we are adopted into God's family. When we experience heartbreak, when we experience incredible injustice in our world, it is easy to forget that we are the redeemed, but here in Ephesians one, the author is reminding us that God has given us His Holy Spirit as a deposit or as an assurance of our identity in Christ. And that word "deposit" is an, a very—it's a fascinating word, because in the original Greek, it actually meant engagement ring. Think about that for a moment. It's a deposit. It's an engagement ring. So that the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, to those who are in Christ is an irrevocable pledge. A divine engagement ring on our spiritual finger that assures us that we forever belong to Jesus, not only now in the present, but that one day we will have a certainty that we will stand before Him in eternity as well. When Beyonce said, if you liked it, you should have put a ring on it, God said I did in the form of the Holy Spirit. So now how do we know that the Holy Spirit is operating in our lives? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is moving and working in us? Let me ask you this question today, church. Over this past week, have you felt a temptation? Have you felt a temptation to do something you knew might be wrong or say or do something wrong? I have. It happened to me like five times on the way over to church, driving and seeing you Wisconsinites out on the road, man, in those roundabouts. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, give me grace. Um, But if you've had a moment this past week where you've experienced temptation, and, and if in that moment you either recognize that this was wrong or you found the power to say no to that, it's because the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. And indeed, church, every victory we experience, both in the past as well as any uh, victory that we experience in the future, is a reminder of our identity, an assurance of our identity in Christ. And it reminds us that not only now will we experience victory, temporary victory over our sin and over our brokenness, but that one day we will stand with Jesus in assurance and that sin and death will be broken by the power of the Lamb. And so we find our identity in knowing that God has adopted us, that God the Son, Jesus, has saved us, and that God the Spirit has assured us. And so in explaining these great truths of the Christian faith, the author of Ephesians also sheds light on the new identity that we receive when we come into a relationship with Jesus. And according to Ephesians 1, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. It says in Ephesians 1 that we have been chosen. We have been adopted. We have been forgiven. We have been grace lavished. We have been unconditionally loved and accepted. We are pure. We are blameless. We are again forgiven. We have been sealed with the hope that one day we will spend eternity with our God. And when we are in Christ... These truths of our identity that that can never be altered by anything that we do or say. That is who you are. You are adopted. You are the redeemed. You are in Christ. And so the key to knowing our identity is believing that God the Father has adopted us, that God the Son has saved us, and that the Holy Spirit assures us. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.